Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master ChatGPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution. Lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligeris for Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. All right, today we're going to be a little bit honest with ourselves and we're going to talk about the dynamic between sales and product, right? In terms of just straight personality, I think many salespeople and product people are on opposite sides of the spectrum. Right. And sometimes that causes tension. Sometimes that causes frustration. We don't understand what's driving them. We don't understand why our brilliant, wonderful product is not selling. They don't understand why we're not listening to them and what they're hearing on a regular. There is tension. But I also think that it's I mean, any of us would be naive to not think on both sides that each side is really critical for success. Right. Great products do not, in fact, sell themselves. That is a lie. Nobody just goes by a garage that someone, you know, invented something and starts buying it. And then while, you know, a, a great salesperson may be able to sell ice to an Eskimo, it's a lot more fun and generally a lot more profitable to like sell them coats, right? So together, these two relationships can really be successful. And I think a lot of our job and product is to help sales to be successful. But I think some of us really struggle with this, Right. We're not maybe arming them the way they want to be armed. Maybe we've made some really big assumptions. Maybe we're not providing the right information. And I think when we get frustrated with sales, it's really important for us to look internally at what we're doing. But today, I don't really want to like speculate on how do we can help sales, which I think all of us do all the time because we really want to, we really care. But I really want to talk to someone who is a sales expert, who works with sales team, who's been a sales leader and hear directly from the sales team, like how can we be better partners in helping our sales partners understand the market, the products and the competition. So today, very long intro to say that today I'm extremely excited to have with us to help us have this topic and really explore it. Steve Gilda, who is the president and co-founder of Ignite Selling, a global sales training, simulation, and consulting organization dedicated to helping customers build world-class sales teams, which is exactly what we want all of our teams to be, right? He and his business partner, Kevin Jones, recently released his latest book, Ignite Your Sales Strategy, a field guide to accelerating your pipeline in order to help sales teams be able to think and act more strategically to quantify and unlock the true value of the solutions they deliver. And I think he's going to be a great, great partner for this conversation. So Welcome, Steve. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's a joy to be with you and your listeners, Rebecca. Excellent. So Steve, you may not know this, but what I like to start every call with is sort of to get everyone's origin story, right? Sales is your superpower. Tell me a little bit how you got there, how you kind of rose through the ranks and what makes you so passionate about it. Wow. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big question to start, start, <laughs> start the morning off. Start but, high, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I mean, kind of how we, how we got here is, you know, I started my career in sales right out of college and spent 10 years with Harris 3M Lanier, actually in the office products copier business and started off 
up and down the street selling, selling copiers. And that was back in the 80s. And as, as technology continues to shift and uh, organizations changes continue to make, I continued with the organization and made it up to a uh, regional vice president role of outsourcing. And then later decided to make a shift into this performance consulting space. And I went to go work for a gentleman by the name of Neil Rackham, which some of your listeners might be familiar with. He headed up a company called Huffweight and kind of the grandfather of value-based selling with a book mm. called Spin Selling. And I spent several years there and then in 2002 decided to start my own company. And the reason that we decided to kind of make that leap was because we were, I was recognizing in the marketplace that, you know, we are, we are so reactive to things and that reaction simply causes more of a, uh, of a, a rote response to customer value. Mm, mm. And what we really wanted to do was to try to say, hey, what can we do to bring the best practices of what are the best of the best doing in the marketplace today? From sales, from marketing mm. to customer support, in terms of tra- helping organizations drive and accelerate revenue. And so my passion today is really about helping organizations find new ways to accelerate revenue growth. And that can come from new product launches, redevelopment of uh, sales processes, pipeline management systems, to skill development. Mm. And so I really get a charge when we're able to help our clients move the needle on some of the key business metrics that they're striving to achieve in the next 12 to 18 months. So one of the things you talked about was new products. And one of the things we always talk about with our instructors is if you asked salespeople why a product wasn't selling, what would they say? Yeah. I think it depends who you talk to there, right? And you talk to <laughs> right? salespeople. Yeah. You talk to salespeople, they're going to say that marketing's not giving them the support that they need. Mm-hmm. You talk to marketing, they're saying salespeople don't know how to sell, yeah. right? right? So if you but, talk to product, they're going to say the salespeople don't know sell. If you're going to talk to sales, maybe it's price or it's just not like that's not what they want. It doesn't have this feature they want, right? Everyone right. has a very distinct perspective. And the truth lies somewhere in between, <laughs> right? Very Absolutely. true. Yeah. But I do think that there are ways that as product people, we sort of enable or arm the salespeople on a, on a new product launch that is not maybe the most helpful or productive. And I know you've spent some time thinking about that. So let's talk a little bit about how we as product people maybe make assumptions that are not helping with our new sale, our new product launches. Yeah, I think those assumptions are really dangerous. And I think marketing as well as sales often Mm. kind of falls into the traps of making dangerous assumptions that lead to new product launch failure. There's been a lot of research out there that most recently I read one in Harvard Business Review that says that 93% of all new products fail to hit the revenue targets that they projected in the first 12 months. Mm. Now, that's a pretty big number, but you have to really think about that. Why is that? Is Mm. it because the product just wasn't the right product? Not in most cases. Enough research was done that simply says, hey, this product is necessary in the marketplace. But what it often comes down to is those dangerous assumptions that product marketing or product management make about their sales team. Mm. Mm. And we published this in, in a white paper that we'll talk about at the end of this podcast and how your listeners can get a hold of this, this white paper. But I think, you know, though there's five common assumptions, you know, let's talk about kind of the three most common. Yeah. And the number one is the fact that product marketing and product management often believe the salespeople know exactly which accounts to go sell to first. Mm. You know, so that's number one. We'll break these down. But that's number one is who should I, which account should I be going to introduce this new product to? Our existing customers, our competitive customers, both. Well, what's the criteria for that? So that's Mm. number one. Number two, 
whom inside the account should I be engaging with? Leave a sales representative up to their own devices. They're going to engage with those individuals to whom they know. Right. That may not necessarily be the best target for that particular product. And the third thing is all around competition. Leave us, you know, if you ask a sales representative, you know, why did you lose your last sale? You mentioned it earlier, Rebecca. They're going to give you an excuse that we lost because of price. Mm-hmm. You know, the pricing point is not competitive in the marketplace. Well, yes, the follow-up question to that, other than price, what were the other three or four decision criteria this customer was using to compare us against the competition? They don't know. Mm. So when you look at, are we targeting the right customers, the right accounts? Are we reaching the right people? And do we understand the criteria the customer needs to be considering in order to influence their decision to buy this new product? And the common answer is sales and marketing are not on the same page in those three areas. Super interesting because what some of the things we teach is right exactly this. When you're going to do a, a launch plan, we talk about it in our launch course, right? You need to understand what's the right segment. What is the the market piece you're going after? Who's going to be the biggest target, right? And then we talk about personas, right? Which is here a little bit about the contact roles and and sort of what are they their buying criteria and what is it that they value. So from a marketing product marketing and a product management side, we 100% believe that in order to be successful, you need to know this information. But it sounds like even when we know it, we're maybe not sharing it, right? Like, uh, you know, right? And that seems like a really big disconnect, but also a very solvable disconnect because it's not that we don't know this information necessarily. It's that we haven't necessarily realized how important and how valuable that information is to the, the sales team. No doubt about it, Rebecca. I think, you know, yes, you're exactly right that product management knows exactly which customers they need to be really targeting. The challenge becomes is how they communicate that to the sales reps. Mm. It's often left in some very nebulous kind of ways where we ask ask product management, what is the qualitative and quantitative criteria Mm. that would Mm -hmm. define your ideal targeted customer? And what they often come up with is kind of this, you know, qualitative criteria. They want somebody who's maybe an early adopter, somebody we're currently working with today, somebody to whom we have good working relationships with. They're currently using our product. That's all fine and dandy. What about the quantitative criteria? Mm. How do I go find those in in volume? How do I go find that? And then how do I communicate that to the sales reps? Maybe what we want to do is take our new product to anybody who's currently spending greater than $300,000 a year with a competitor that with a competitive product. Maybe that's Mm. what we want to do. Maybe we want to go ahead and work with those customers to whom have engaged with us in the past, but with uh, it's been greater than 24 months, Hmm. not within the last 24 months. That's another quantitative criteria. Maybe another one is, is where we have access to the top four or five key influencers in that account and we have a good relationship with them. So it's important that marketing communicates not just the qualitative criteria, but the quantitative criteria so that the sales representatives can say, ah, these are the subset of customers that are our greatest target. Because we leave a sales representative up to their own devices, they're going to go only to those targeted customers to where they have a relationship. And then we wonder, why aren't we selling this product? It's because we're not going to the right accounts. And I would think too, I mean, you want the, you know, we often, we do fall in this trap as product people. Like we have a new product. Everybody will like it. (laughs) 
(laughs) Obviously it's for everyone. But I think your point too is it's really important to start where it is going to be the most valuable, where you have the biggest chance because also success sort of begets success, right? So if we can have some early wins, that makes everybody comfortable. makes the sales team comfortable. They've built a muscle in an area where they're most likely to be successful. And that's where you want to point them to first. Well, there's no doubt about it. And I think that, you know, we as marketers often have a tendency to kind of look at, you know, time to market. Let's get this product to market. You know, we encourage our customers to look at time to market share. Hmm. Let's make sure that we're not just bringing this product to market, kissing the sales representatives on the cheek and say, go get them, boys. But it's about really saying, let's be smart. How much market share can we capture? How Mm -hmm. much revenue can we capture in the first 90 days? the first six months, the first nine months, what are those goals? And let's not leave it to chance. Mm -hmm. We may find after 90 days, we need to tweak that criteria on which customers we're going to be going to, which targeted accounts we're going to be going to. Well, that's super true. We're going to come back to that feedback loop idea because that's really, really important too, I think. So we, we want to help them understand the accounts. The next one is something that, again, makes so much sense, but I think we just skip through. Like, of course they'd know who to go through, right? But we're talking, and it sounds like you deal with a lot too, like large B2B kind of enterprise sales. That's who our clients are. That's who your clients are. These are complicated sales. There's often multiple buyers and influencers in there. There's often software that serves sort of multiple parties within the organization. And so when you talk about help them understand the context, you're not like, hey, make sure you talk to Bob here. It's giving them the profile. Then let's talk a little bit how we give them that, right? Because titles often are a mess. So what other criteria do we say helps them identify not only the right accounts, but the right sort of individuals in those accounts and which they should be reaching out to? Well, yeah, I think that if in fact a product's coming to market is merely more, is merely just an update to an existing product, maybe kind of engaging with people that you know might work. Mm -hmm. But if in fact it's a new product that's coming to market or the changes in the existing product are significant enough, we have to go back and kind of re-examine who do these changes or these new products truly benefit in the organization? Maybe because of a unique capability of this new product, somebody in supply chain is truly going to value this. Hmm. Well, the sales rep says, I don't know anybody in supply chain. Okay, that's all right, but let's go get to know them. Why? Because this new capability that, that we have brought to this marketplace will make supply chain's life 10 times easier. But if we're not helping the sales representatives make the connections between the unique capabilities of this product and to whom it benefits inside the organization, sales representatives will naturally engage those individuals to whom they know. And we miss 30% of the value of the product. We're merely talking about the new product in the same context of what we talked about the old products. Mm. To, the, to the same people too, right? The so they're not, it's not going to feel like, ooh, this is amazingly different. Correct. And so as, as we were talking to, I think it's really interesting, Steve, that you talk about accounts, contacts, and then value. Because I think that's probably like the order for the sales team. I think for the product team, we frequently think about like the value. And maybe that's all we tell the salespeople about. Because like, we're like, here's, you know, let, yeah. let me tell you the value of this. And that is super important. We're going to talk about that because like it matters a ton. Understanding what in here your buyer values is critical. Mm-hmm. But I think that only it only goes so far. Then we're requiring them to do the translation of, I know these values, so it must be these kind of people in these kind of accounts, right? So, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about value, 
why it's so important and what kind of information there we want to make sure we we share with sales teams or what kind of terrible assumptions that we've made. Yeah, I think we can break down value kind of in two areas. One, I think that anytime we're talking about value, we need to first of all understand that value is positional based upon the individual to whom we're talking to. Mm -hmm. So we could be talking about one unique capability of our product, but the value of that to somebody in finance is different than somebody Mm. who might be in, say, sales supply chain of our customer organization. But if we're only talking about the capability in one way, Mm. there's going to be a disconnect. It needs to be translated into a language based upon the individual that you're talking to. So that's the reason why we like to say value is positional based upon the individual we're talking to. If, in fact, I am trying to sell a new software that is designed to help expedite client orders, all right, people in in operations and revenue capture are going to love this because you're you're capturing revenue quicker, right? Mm -hmm. People in supply chain or in inventory are going to find the value because they're able, if we don't, if we only talk about in terms of speed to capture revenue, that's fine. But now if we're going to have to, now if there's a new value that say we're talking to somebody in inventory management in the same organization, maybe what we need to do is talk about how this software gives them enough insight ahead of time, 45 day notice in terms of what product needs to be pulled from the shelf. Mm. Wow. Let's talk about that. But if we're, if we're not translating the value to the individuals to whom we're talking to, we end up kind of shortcutting the perceived value of the overall product to the company that we're trying to sell it to. So that's kind of value is positional. That's the first part. I mean, it makes a ton of sense, right? And I think some of it when we're trying to like, you know, I could see trying to simplify things and be like, okay, well, just sort of like lowest common denominator. What is the value of this feature? But then again... Either that's what's being delivered to everybody and that doesn't speak to them, or you're requiring the sales team to do that for everyone. That's a big ask. So, well, Rebecca, I'd like to kind of chime in here. It may not be as big of an ask as I think product marketing often perceives. Mm. It is simply just an ask. When we're helping organizations launch new products, we have a learning map. In fact, you, it's this one right behind my head here. Happens to be that okay. one right there which is a gamified, it's a gamification, it's a game board, but it's designed for sales and marketing where we take a unique capability of our new product, mm-hmm. whatever that unique capability might be. And then what we do is we then align it to a key influencer inside the organization. And then we, then we go through this exercise. We ask three questions. First question is, is what will this key customer, this key stakeholder experience in absence of having this unique capability? Mm. Okay. Yeah. What's We're their pain saying, point? Yep. Well, they experience that just having the product. We're saying this unique capability of our product say that it provides the fastest uptime of any product in the marketplace today, according to research and all those kinds of things. Great. And your point of contact, your key stakeholder is CFO or your key stakeholder is supply chain. The perceived value, when you answer that first, ask the first question, what will this key stakeholder experience in absence of having that unique capability? What we're doing is we're having the sales and marketing people come up with a list of potential concerns that they're going to experience. They'll list that out. Then we ask the second question. So what? What will this customer experience if these concerns are not addressed? Mm. Now we're talking about the consequences or the implications if these particular concerns are not addressed in the eyes of that supply chain 
or in the eyes of that head of sales or in the eyes of that CFO? And the third question is, is how will this unique capability, again, we're not talking about the entire product, mm-hmm. talking about how will this unique capability help resolve these particular consequences or implications? And so it's a real simple exercise. And there's another part to it I won't bother getting into right now. But from a sales and marketing standpoint, we have to ask ourselves, if I'm in product marketing and I ask my sales reps, list out for me what you believe the potential concerns are of the vice president of supply chain is going to have if they don't have this one unique capability. Can they do it? Mm. Think about it. You brought this product to market with three unique capabilities that nobody else does in the marketplace. If your sales team can't translate that into the unique value of the key stakeholders they have to talk to, we shouldn't be wondering why we're not hitting our number. Hmm. And I, that's, I love that exercise. And I love that exercise too, because I think sometimes in product marketing, we try to solve with more information, right? Like there's just a flood of sales sheets and information and tools. And they're like, we've like, I've answered all of these questions. How do they not memorize that on page 14, uh, section 7B, that this is addressed, right? We do. I know we do. This is very interactive. This is very engaging. This is also very much, you know, you understand things differently. You own them differently when you participate in the exercise of that. Yeah. Do you have hints as some people are like, yeah, that'd be great, but my sales team would never do that. My sales team wouldn't give me the time. They wouldn't think it was worthwhile, right? There's a sometimes a credibility piece. First of all, is that just excuses that people should get over? And or are there ways that you can, that you would recommend that we, places that we do this sort of interaction or ways that we can build that trust and relationship so that we can do these kind of exercises with our sales teams? Yeah, I mean, I think what it is, it's, it, it is an excuse is the short, is the short answer mm-hmm. is that I can't get my salespeople together because you will get them together for a product launch. Yeah. You're going to get them together. That, that's anyway, fair. Right? Yep. yep. And so doing an exercise like this for two hours where A, we're, we're listing out who all the key stakeholders are, we're listing out all the unique capabilities, and then we're, we're doing that first part. But then the real value for the sales representatives is we're giving them the opportunity to create questions. Because we can't go in there and start telling the customer, do you realize, Mr. Customer, if you don't have this unique capability, you're likely to have, you know, this concern, that concern, this concern. And of course, Mr. Customer, if you don't address these concerns, the implications of those, those issues are going to be exacerbated by A, B, and C. We don't want sales representatives going and telling the customers those. We want them to yeah. ask questions. Yeah. And so the second part of that activity really becomes valuable for sales reps because we said, okay, guys, so what are the questions you're going to ask the customer to get them to acknowledge that these potential concerns exist? And what questions are you going to ask to get them to acknowledge that these potential consequences or implications exist? Mm -hmm. And so when we get them together for the product launch, let's not just focus on the marketing message and the collateral that we have and how the product works. Let's help them be smarter by saying we recognize that there is a perceived value that is different based upon the unique capabilities of this product and the key influencers to whom I want you talking to. Because even though this product says the unique capability, the reason we're bringing this product to market is because it's safer and it's more reliable than any other product in the marketplace. Mm. That safety and reliability means something different to the CFO versus somebody in sales and marketing. So let's talk about that. Yeah, And I think that's where, you know, sales and marketing can kind of come together and get on the same page going, you're right. This is really real. This is a really cool product. Because I never, I didn't realize that these two new unique capabilities really mean something different to 
the CFO and the head of sales. I think just as you were going through that thing, that is exactly what I thought. It was like, man, not only would they leave better armed, they will leave more excited. And like that matters, right? And they were not excited because there was like confetti and champagne, right? They're excited because they also then really believe in the value you're delivering in this, these capabilities that you created and they see the problem is meant to solve and now can talk to it, to it well. You touched on this earlier and I I told you we were going to loop back on it that sometimes with our best intentions, we're like, this is the right messaging. These are the right people. We got this. And then like, it doesn't always work perfectly. Let's talk about when do we look at it? What do we look at? How should we be communicating to have these sort of iterative feedback loops after a launch? What does that look like in your mind? Let me, let me kind of make sure I understand the question. You're saying after the product launch, mm-hmm. we're 90 days, six months down the road, And we're going, wow, we really are not hitting the number the way we thought, right? What's that post-mortem kind of look like? Yep. Yep. When should we do it? What does that look like? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We recommend kind of examining that post-mortem in the first 90 days Hmm. because if in fact the product launch has been set up properly, where in fact we have directed them to go to these specific customers. In other words, remember, we have the qualitative and quantitative criteria. So every sales representative has those accounts in their territory. And we have pointed them in the direction to whom they should be contacting inside that account. It's easy for us to assess in the first 90 days whether or not, A, have the sales representatives been inside those targeted accounts? Yes or no? If not, that's a sales issue. That's an accountability issue for sales. We're not not hitting our sales number with this new product because the product is bad. We're not hitting this number because sales representatives aren't targeting the right accounts. If they are targeting the right accounts, then we go to that second step that we talked about. Are they engaging with those other people outside those individuals that they know? We know that they typically go to materials management and supply chain every time because that's where the relationships are. But what we're asking them to go do is to go to risk management and the CFO. Hmm. Are they doing that? No, they're not. Okay. This isn't a marketing issue yet. Hmm. This is Mm -hmm. still a sales issue. Yep. We told them which accounts to go to. We gave them the targets on who to contact inside the account. Now, all of a sudden, now we have to look at the last part here. We simply say, okay, if in fact, sales representatives are going to the right accounts, they are contacting the right people inside those accounts, and we're still not hitting our number, then we have to kind of ask the question, Hmm. why not? And we do it this way. When we're having a postmortem, we ask sales representatives, why did you lose? Or why have you not closed this deal yet? And sales representatives will give you an excuse. And I use that kind of boldly and intentionally. Okay, because once you begin to unpack that excuse, you come to find out that they just have not created enough value. Hmm. And we ask this question, what is the customer's decision criteria that they're using to make a decision whether or not to bring our new product on board or not to, or to bring our new product on board and as compared to something else? Most sales representatives will say, you know, they'll give you some kind of excuse. Well, it's, you know, the, the criteria that they're looking for is price. And our product way is way too expensive and they're looking for ease of use and reliability. Okay. So Mr. Sales Rep, what I heard you say is that we haven't closed this opportunity. We thought we were going to close it in the first 90 days because we're targeting the right accounts, talking to the right people, but you haven't closed it yet. You told me the criteria that they're using is price, reliability, and speed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are the three criteria. 
The next question I would, I would ask the, this particular sales representative is, what are some of the unique capabilities that this new product has in the market that, that we bring to the market that's not being considered? So we said that price, speed, and reliability are the three things the customer's looking at. But remember when we launched this product, we said one of the great things about uh, this particular product beyond price, speed, and reliability is the fact that it can do X better. Hmm. Yeah. Why isn't the customer considering that criteria? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Or you would shift to a different question. An easier question for the sales rep at a price, speed, and reliability. How does the customer rank that in terms of mm. most, most important to least important? Sales representative might or might not know. Ask the second question. How does the customer perceive our ability to meet this criteria from price, speed, and reliability? Are we better than the competition, equal to the competition, or not as good as the competition? Do we know? The sales representative might give you a reason. Yeah, they think our price stinks. We're too high priced. They think that we're okay from a reliability standpoint. We're just as good as the competition. And frankly, they think that we're better in terms of, you know, reliability, whatever. Terrific. Now, here's the final question for you. Whose criteria is this? You told me that there were three key stakeholders involved. You had said there was somebody in sales and marketing. So if there was a CFO and somebody in supply chain, we just talked about three criteria, speed, reliability, and ease of use. I keep, I keep forgetting the three criteria. That we're talking about. <laughs> but whose criteria is this? Because is there a chance that the CFO might have a different criteria mm. than sales and marketing. And so once we start kind of asking these types of questions, we come to find out that sales representatives are not leveraging our unique differentiators in their sales efforts, okay? They targeted the right accounts, accessing the right people, but they're not talking about the unique capabilities mm. of what our product is. They're too busy talking about the other generic things that our, that our company brings to the marketplace. The message that they've always given for the last right. seven years they've been in sales. They're That's not, worked for them, no, likely, before, correct. right? Yeah. Correct. So that would be kind of the examination that I would do if I was in product marketing. After 90 days, I would start looking at, are we targeting the right accounts? Are we targeting the right people inside those accounts? And do our people know how to have a conversation around the unique capabilities of this new product. Excellent. All right. So we've talked about what we need to arm them with. We talked about how we want to circle back afterwards. Let's talk a little bit about how we want to arm them with this information. Because this is another place I think sometimes we tend to provide information in the way we like to access it, right? I am a reader. I love to read. I can read very quickly. I'll read all kinds of things. I am not the norm these days. Right? <laughs> so just providing more documentation may not be, but let's talk about this with, with sales teams. How do we make the information as usable and as accessible and as powerful that we're providing as possible? So how does product marketing provide that information to yes. salespeople, right? Not yes. salespeople to the customer. No, no. Us okay. to sales. Yeah. I, I think that it's two things. One, I think that it needs to be easily accessible in digital format. Okay. Some kind of marketing portal to which they, they can to simply tap into either on their laptop or on their iPad and make it really accessible. But I think you hit it on the head that in terms of accessibility alone isn't going to change the day. Hmm. What salespeople need to do is sometimes they get so overwhelmed with marketing collaterals, mm -hmm. they don't know when to use what. Ah. And we as product managers own that responsibility that simply says, hey, 
we are arming you with a lot of information. Let's talk just a little bit about your sales process. There are activities that you do in the early, middle, and late stages that are unique to the individuals that you're talking to and where this customer is. Let me help you in product management, product marketing, do a better job of recognizing when this petite piece of collateral is going to be better in the early stages versus the middle stages. So let's not inundate our salespeople with just a bunch of stuff. Let's give them some direction that, hey, if this is the first time you're talking to a customer that's never done business with us, here's a white paper, here's a piece of research, here's a piece of collateral, here's a video that I think would be exceptional. However, if in fact we're a little bit further down the road or we're working with a customer that is already familiar with our brand, already familiar with the, the value that we bring, we don't need to share. We don't need to take this stuff and share it with them. But these pieces of collateral could be very useful. And these resources could be ex- exceptionally helpful. So I think we as product marketing own that responsibility of helping salespeople recognize that I'm not just giving you a bunch of collateral, but I want to give you some self-directed collateral that simply says, hey, this is going to be useful at the early, middle, or late stages of your sales process. Great advice. And I think super important as well, because we have to be honest with ourselves. Often ours is not the only product that the sales team is selling, right? So it is our world. It is our everything. I will remember every detail about it, but I need to make it accessible. And I need to understand that they may be switching between multiple products and multiple scenarios. And so that kind of map and that little sort of like guide is really essential. All right. I have one other topic I want to talk about because you talked a little bit, you know, kind of about the exercises. You're very big on exercises and simulations and, and being really interactive. And one of the areas you have one that I think is really interesting is competitive simulations. I think yeah. competition and understanding the competition and how to present ourselves. And there is both something that the product team often feels like we have trouble both keeping up with and making it again, kind of bringing it alive, not just like a, here's a giant sheet of paper about this competition. So I would love to hear a little bit about the competitive simulations you guys do, Mm -hmm. what that looks like, what kind of information you guys focus on and how it makes it so actionable. Yeah. Well, thank you for that opportunity. Yeah. We actually provide two different types of simulations. One simulation is a skill-focused simulations. In other words, it's all about teaching the sales team something new about this product and how that value is translated to the different stakeholders inside the organization. We use these gamification-based simulations. You see a few of the uh, learning maps behind me. What we'll do is we often create a mock website okay, mm. of a particular customer. We'll create some key influencers and cards that replicate the real world to which we want your sales representative to go after. It's targeting that particular unique account that they don't go after today. It's about reaching those individuals to whom they're not typically comfortable in talking to. And we walk through some of those exercises. It could be this one here that I talked about. It simply said, hey, let's do this. Let's work together through this simulation. It simply says, what are the questions we're going to ask this particular individual that we don't typically have access to or can't get access to or we've never met before? about the unique capabilities of this new product. And then let's go into a role play about that. So they're skill-based simulations. And that's what's kind of behind my head. Mm -hmm. And the other type of simulation, which is truly a more competitive learning environment, is called our capstone simulation. And our capstone simulations are often used with salespeople to help them drive a new strategic direction or application of the skills to which they've already been taught. 
So our simulations are brought to sales organizations that have been provided the fundamental selling skills, have been provided the strategic account management skills, the negotiation skills, presentation skills necessary. But what they need to do is to know how to apply those skills when launching this new product or when going after this particular competitor. And so what we'll do here is we totally replicate the world to which they're living in. Hmm. We've done this for uh, CPG companies, uh, consumer packaged goods companies that are selling into grocery food stores or stores like Target and Walmart. And where we will build a convenience store or a uh, kind of big box chain store where they have to engage the different product category managers to help sell the value. Or we've done it in banking or we've done it in hospitals and physician offices. We've done it in to the tech world of data centers. And what we're doing here is we're replicating the world that which the sales reps live in, putting them in teams of three to five. And this is a peer-to-peer learning experience where they're competing against their other peers. And they kind of have to choose their own path. Unlike traditional role plays, we simply say, okay, Rebecca, it's time for you now to go see Mike Miller. Okay. Everybody has to prepare for the meeting with Mike Miller. Everybody goes, prepares for the meeting with Mike. Everybody executes the meeting with Mike. And then we kind of talk a little bit about what happened and whether it went well, great. If it it didn't go so well, then that's okay too, because it's just a stupid role play anyway. (laughs) As opposed to a competitive simulation, we're not going to dictate or prescribe who you need Mm. to meet with. Just like in real life, you get to go call in anybody you think that you need to go talk to. So team one over here might go see Mike Miller. Team two over here is going to go see Larry Yates. Team three over here is going to go see Kevin Jones. So we're not going to dictate to whom the teams need are going to go meet with. And if that meeting doesn't go well, well, just like in real life, there's consequences. Mm. There are things to which you now need to try to resolve as, as a result of that. So it didn't go well. He didn't see the value in the product that you were talking to. And he pretty much shut you down. Mm. Well, where do you go from here? You know, this is a large opportunity. Who else can you go see? How else can you reestablish the value so you can get back inside this account? Or if it did go well, how can you leverage the success that you had to Mm. gain access to other people to continue that value message with others? And so this capstone simulation is simply a replication of what the reps should be doing out in the field, put together in a peer-to-peer learning environment where they have to compete against others. Nice. So they're really a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, you think about role playing as it's very different. It's very flat, as you said. This really helps them practice in a realistic but safe environment, right? You're not burning through yeah. your accounts. That's great. I love it. There's a lot, a lot of pressure because people are taking different paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're scoring along the way. And the customers are kind of looking back in the war room going, wow, look, check this out. So we have team one who started off with Mike and then went to Larry and then went to Sally and then went to Mary. Team two went to Larry and then went to Larry again. Why did they go see Larry twice? Team three is, you know, so in the war room, we're looking at the strategy that each Mm. team has taken, not just the execution of it. So it's always very interesting. Right. It's kind of a, yeah, I think it it recognizes how much of sales is strategy and really helps develop that. Excellent. All right, Steve, we talked about lots of different things today. If you were going to have our listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would that be? Number one, I would encourage them to be very mindful of those three things when they're launching a new product. Are you helping your salespeople target the right accounts? And you are breaking that down by qualitative and quantitative criteria. That's number one. 
prescribe who they should go to first. That doesn't mean they shouldn't go to everybody else, but where should they go first? Number two, help them understand whom inside these accounts they should be meeting with because you leave it up to a sales representative, they're going to be left up to their own devices. The third thing I would do is make sure that they understand how to create value for those unique differences, those unique capabilities that only you can do. Your job is bringing a new product to market. You're not bringing another Me Too product to market. You're bringing a unique product to market. So you need to help your sales team recognize what does those unique capabilities actually mean to the key stakeholders. So that'd be number one, focus on those three things. The second thing that I would encourage them to do is to ensure that they're helping their sales team do a better job of understanding of how to apply all of this collateral in the early, middle, or late stages. Take a step back, look at all the collateral that you have, and ask yourself, is my sales team using this at the right time in their client engagement process? Mm. Or do they even know how to do it? If not, give them some direction, simply saying, hey guys, we created all this stuff for you. We recognize that maybe we haven't been really uh, helpful in terms of which pieces of collateral can be most useful. So we've kind of dissected that for you in terms of early, middle, and late. Take a look at this. Maybe that'll help you. Those would be the two things I'd probably recommend. Excellent. Uh, Steve, tons of great information. If people want to keep learning from you, where should they go? Well, they can uh, definitely go to our website, igniteselling.com, and they can go to the resources page and they can download the white paper that talks about the five dangerous assumptions that cause new products to fail. There's a white paper on there. They can download that. And then they can connect with me on LinkedIn. You've got my name, my name here, and we can get connected on LinkedIn. And if they want to schedule some time to talk with me or anybody on my team, we're happy to set that up. Excellent. Steve, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.